In the 8th century AD, as the medieval era in the Indian subcontinent starts, India sees a re-emergence of a series of love imagery being installed in the Hindu and Buddhist religious institutions. This happens simultaneously as Sindh is being captured and conquered by the Arabs. Hello and welcome. This is Indian Art History by MASH Podcast and I am your host Ayushi. Both Hinduism and Buddhism went through immense changes during the medieval era. New religious characters and gods started to gain new importance and new symbolism. Both of them saw a rise in the devotion of the powerful savioresses as Roy Craven puts it. Tara emerged as the female Bodhisattva. While Hinduism saw a re-emergence of the mother goddess cults of the prehistoric times, this happened because the mysterious and various tantric cult rituals sort of gained heavy popularity. And some of them focused their ritualistic practices on the female principle and sexuality. So let us start with the central India. Believe me when I say this, art is always brewing in the state of Madhya Pradesh. When I was little, there was a lot of hoo-ha about the sculptures of Khajuraho among the adults of my family. Tourism was catching on and everybody wanted to witness the sexual display at Khajuraho. They always said it's not for kids, so most definitely it was going to be an adult strip. And as a child, I always thought what could these adults think is worse than a kiss that they are not allowing me to go. Now that I think, they might as well have taken me and I wouldn't have understood anything. The feudal system in India planted its seeds in the medieval era, when the north and the central India were divided into many smaller polities and further into many even smaller feudatories. From 831 to 1308, Khajuraho was the capital of the Chandelas. So, Chandela started out in the career of their dynasty as a feudatory under the quite popular and powerful Pratihara clan. The Chandela started out as a small tribal polity under a bigger feudal network. And you know, they went on to become this major power for everyone to reckon with, both in terms of their militaristic advancements and also their artistic and cultural advancements. So Yashovarman Chandela, one of the first recognized rulers within the dynasty, one fine day took a Vishnu sculpture from the Pratiharas without their permission and installed it in his capital Khajuraho, while he also constructed a sandstone temple around it. The temple still survives as Lakshman temple at Khajuraho, of course. Soon his upcoming successors would make him proud, actually. His son Dhanga, apologies for wrong pronunciation, completed this Lakshman temple. Dhanga lived for about a hundred years. He had lived a life of many military successes. To celebrate that fact, he built the Vishwanath temple to establish his power. Vishwanath temple is a Shiva temple. It had stone and emerald linga as a symbol of fulfillment of all of Dhanga's desires. He was succeeded by Vijayadara Chandela, who apparently is tagged as the most important Chandela ruler, and actually rightly so too. 
because twice he organized regurgitation against the Middle Eastern Islamic invaders and both times he was successful. And of course, to establish his jurisdiction, he built the Mahadeo Temple, once again a Shiva shrine. The three rulers built the three major temple structures, the Lakshman Temple, the Vishwanath Temple and the Mahadeo Temple. All three were commissioned by the royalty. They followed a similar architectural plan, that is the Sandhara plan, which was characterized by a square sanctum conjoined with a square hall. The sanctums of the Sandhara temples are enclosed by a gallery of pillars, forming a designated path for circumambulation or pradakshina. This circumambulatory provision of a temple makes it Sandhara in Sanskrit terminology. In contrast, there are Niradhar temples that do not have the circumambulatory or pradakshina path. The three temples installed by the Chandelas, that is the Lakshman Temple, Vishwanath Temple and Mahadeo Temple were essentially Sandhara plans. Another feature that marked these temples unique is the prominent placement and embellishment of erotic imagery as a popular motif. Here, there seems to be a difference in the portrayal of the images of deities in contrast with the images of other people. Deities were often sculpted, carved and installed in the frontal room, who mostly occupied the stage in the inner sanctum. The figures of males and females would be seen entwining, embracing and twisting. Most likely, these would serve as the motif and embellishment for the circumambulatory trail on the exterior walls. It was definitely a display of all kinds of people to see it, even for those from different sects. The entwining figures of males and females in sexual display of bodies had long and slender limbs. Their bodies were decorated with jewelry, hairstyles, but most of the times these human bodies would be seen in the midst of different positions while some also accompanied by shying helpers, you know. In some cases, we would see homosexuality. We see a ripe display of gender and sexuality. We also see animals and bestiality for that matter of fact. The sexual temperament of the society during the medieval era, before the invasion from different parts of the world, was much different from what we have today. Today, desires and sexuality are expected to be confined within the personal chambers and this curbing of sexual desire is mostly informed by a tenuous colonial rule and before that, the sentiments of the Muslim invaders. So what we have today is a sum effect of our experiences as a society or as a country with the Semitic religions. It is interesting to note how far away we have come from what we were. But it is far more interesting to see how we will go ahead knowing what we already know. Uh, the sexual temperament of the society during the medieval era was much different from today. Physical beauty or eminence sort of played a huge role in the perception of a person by the society. Through several inscriptions, we come to realize that whenever the monarch or the king spoke of his victories, his valor and heroic bravery, he also spoke of his sexuality in high regard as someone who also excels at the art of pleasure giving and similarly for queens and wealthy women. While I was reading some texts by Vidya Dehetia, she says and I quote, 
in india the hallmark of any ruler is for him to strike a perfect balance between sexual vitality regal power control of sense and yogic power and this becomes the context for examining khajuraho temples the major temples in khajuraho are often seen with a sanctum and a main hall the two kinds of rooms often meet at the juncture walls on the exterior of these juncture walls we see erotic imagery The Shilpa Shastras often recognize the inner sanctum as the bride and the main hall as the bridegroom. The conjoined wall between them is called the Milan Sthal or the meeting place. And it is here we see a couple entwined in each other's embrace. Sandhi which means union here refers to in the research and work of artists. Please write to us. Unfortunately, we have never lived in a society that rewarded labor, be it that of an artist or that of a caregiver or that of the castes who work in labor-intensive professions. And this certainly lives on today as we speak even so many years later, which is why we do not have proper labor rights in place. And even if we have those rights in place, they are never practiced fully. Unions don't work anymore. The systems are a bureaucratic maze or a bhulbhulaiya. And it all boils down to how we look at labor, especially that of an artist in India, both in the contemporary times and also in the ancient past. The Khajuraho temples are a proof of the exquisite craftsmanship the artists put in. It is also a proof of how much the community at large participated with the arts of their religion. Thank you so much for listening.